Hey there, friends and foes. This is Back of the Cereal Box and a Saturday matinee movie review. I am your host, the prophet of pop culture, John Pica, but you can call me Johnny. And on this episode, I am going to review Shang-Chi. Warning, though, this is going to be filled with spoilers. And we are going to get to that right after these words from our sponsor. All right, Cereal Boxers. Normally, I would be reviewing a movie from my stack of DVDs and Blu-rays, but this week I thought it prudent to review a brand new movie in theaters because it was just so spectacular. I am talking about the MCU's Shang-Chi. Now, before we get into this, I'm going to tell you that my review is going to be very positive. I thought that this movie was the best solo character introduction film into the MCU since Iron Man. And there have been some people who have thought it was even better than Iron Man. And I'm going to put this right up there with my favorite solo films, Captain America the Winter Soldier and Thor Ragnarok. Now, I just want to say, first of all, this movie does not stay true to the source material. But that's okay. For those of you who don't know, the original Shang-Chi story revolved around Shang-Chi, and you'll have to forgive me, since the 1970s, I've been pronouncing it Shang-Chi. So if I slip back and forth between that, please forgive me. But Shang-Chi was released in the 70s. The original series was The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. But in the origin story, Shang-Chi's father was Fu Manchu. And at the time, Marvel had the license to that character. And they made Shang-Chi his son, you know, this evil warlord, this this super... Uh, super evil villain, gang leader, and Shang-Chi was raised to be an assassin for Fu Manchu. This movie kind of picked up the spirit of that, but instead of Fu Manchu, he is the uh, son of... um, of Wen Yu. And Wen Yu was the leader of the Ten Rings organization. An organization that he founded a thousand years prior using the power of the Ten Rings. And the Ten Rings in the comics were physical rings that the Mandarin wore on his hands, on his fists, and gave him different powers, but when they were combined, gave him the powers of a god. And... In this film, they reinterpret those ten rings as rings that are worn as bracelets. And the movie describes them as giving the wearer, in this case, Wenyu, the power of a god, the strength of a god, and immortality. So he has been a world conqueror and known by many names, including the Mandarin, for a thousand years. In his quest to seek ultimate power, he searches for the fabled city of Tao Lo, 
and he meets Lee. Uh, by the way, uh, when you is portrayed by Tony Leung, international Chinese superstar, and Lee is uh, portrayed by Fala Chen. Anyway, he meets Lee, who is the guardian of the portal to Talo, a mystical city, and he fights her and then falls in love. And when they fall in love and have a child, Shang-Chi, he gives up his life as a world conqueror, as a criminal, and decides to become a family man, settle down, and raise his children with his wife, and be content with that. And all is good until the sins of Wen Yu's past come back. He has gone on a business trip, and the kids, Li and Shilin uh, and Shang-Chi, are left alone with their mother, Li, and one of the gangs that when you had crossed in the past came to uh, to collect, and they end up killing their mother, Lee. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. And with the death of Lee, when you decides to put the rings back on and pay a blood debt with blood, and he reforms the Ten Rings organization, begins training his son, Shang, as one of the soldiers in the Ten Rings. And when he turns 14, sends him to America to kill the man that killed his mother. And Shang goes through with it, but he's ashamed of what he's become. And he decides he can't go back to his father. He changes his name from Shang-Chi to Sean. (laughs) There's a whole bit about that. And goes into hiding, tries to create a new life, and is gone for 10 years. In the meantime, his sister, Shilin, um, she takes up training on her own, and she becomes as good, if not better, than all of the men. And at age 16, she runs away and forms a international fight club ring in Macau. During that 10-year period, now known as Sean, becomes friends with Katie, played by Aquafina, and eventually his father's gang, his soldiers, come after him to get an artifact that he wears around his neck. Their mother, Lee, gave both Shilin and Shang-Chi a pendant, an, a, 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 a pendant with an, an, an amulet, with a gem to wear to protect them, help them find their way home. We don't know exactly what its actual purpose was, but uh, the soldiers of the Ten Ring Society comes, they try to get it from Chong, and that forces him to step back into the world that he had tried to leave behind. They go try to find his sister in Macau because they're coming to get her too and claim her pendant. And 
throughout the course, there's a lot of great action, a lot of great fighting. But their father, when you shows up, and they all come back together and go home. And that's when, when you explains that he needed the pendants because they will help him open or, or find the portal to uh, Talo and to find the map. And that they're going to go to Talo because their mother isn't actually dead. She is being held captive by the people of her village to keep her away from him. So when you reveals that he believes his mother is being held because he's hearing her voice call to him and asking her to rescue her. And when Shang asks, well, what if, what if we can't rescue her? What if we can't free her? He says, well, then I'm going to destroy Talo and kill everyone in it. And so Shang and Katie and Shilin decide they need to get there before their father, warn them, and if their mother is there, protect her. And that's exactly what happens. They get there ahead of them, but they discovered that her mother did indeed die. She is not being held behind a gate. The gate actually holds back a horde of monsters called soul suckers, and there is a giant soul sucker called the you know the super soul sucker that has the power to destroy all of reality and the people of talo are the protectors and the guardians of that gate to prevent it from escaping and it's obvious that to to uh to aunt nan played by michelle yo uh ning yan uh, that that uh, when you is being manipulated by the super soul sucker who has reached out across dimensions to find a power source powerful enough to open the gate, and that is the ten rings. And if he can entice when you to use his power to open the gate under the guise of freeing his dead wife, Lee, then he will release the soul suckers and they will be able to finish their work and destroy Talo and make their way to the dimension where Earth is and eventually devour the entire universe. So, when you comes to the village, big battles ensue, the Warriors of Talo versus the Warriors of the Ten Rings organization. Shang-Chi is forced to face his father in combat. Long story short, spoiler alert, Shang-Chi doesn't defeat Wen Yu. Wen Yu actually sacrifices himself to save his son, and Shang-Chi becomes the new wielder of the Ten Rings, and spoiler alert, he kills the Super Soul Sucker, saves the day, and becomes the new wielder of the Ten Rings. Now, I told you at the beginning there were going to be some spoilers, and spoiler alert, one of the things that they address in this movie 
is the character of Trevor Slattery, also known as the Mandarin from Iron Man 3. Ben Kingsley reprises that role brilliantly, by the way, and they explain how he came to be known as the Mandarin, how that name was appropriated away from Wen Yu. And um, he becomes an integral part of helping save the day because of his relationship with one of the magical creatures from Tao Lo. But for me, the real breakout star, for me, was Aquafina as Katie. She was so funny. She was the perfect comic spoil for Simi Liu's Shang-Chi. And she was that classic kung fu movie trope of the goofy sidekick who helped save the day. That was her, and I loved I loved her. Now, I, I got to tell you guys... I love this movie, and there was a lot to love. I'm not going to dive into every single little detail, but uh, Shang-Chi, the martial arts, the kung fu fighting was flawless. The fight choreography was phenomenal. Um, uh, Shi Lin, uh, his sister, was total badass. Uh, Tony Leung, as Wen Yu, was strong. He was menacing, but he was sympathetic. He was not a villain. He did some bad things, but for good reasons in his mind. And he was the best kind of villain that there is. He was empathetic, sympathetic. Aquafina was hilarious as Katie. Michelle Yeoh as Ning Yan or Auntie Yan was phenomenal. She, listen, Michelle Yeoh is one of those actresses that instantly makes a movie better. And uh, she lived up to that in this movie. And there are so many other great characters in this movie. Florian um, Mutano or Mutano, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, was Razor Fist. And uh, he was great. There, there are a couple of things that you need to know about this. One, spoiler alert, the mid-credit scene verifies what we've thought throughout the movie. That the wielder of the Ten Rings is on a power level with Thor and Captain Marvel and the Hulk. And the director even verified that himself. The uh, director is Destin Daniel Crichton, and in um, in interviews, he has confirmed, yes, Shang-Chi is on that power level, and the mid-credit scene establishes that. And also in that mid-credit scene, along with Captain Marvel and the Hulk, is Wong, and we're seeing him pop up more and more in the Marvel Universe, and I think it's setting up something bigger for him. I don't think he's just a side character. And there's a scene in this film where the Abomination and Wong are fighting in a cage match at uh, Shi Lin's uh, fight club in Macau. And they finish the fight. 
Wong actually uses the Abomination's own strength against him to knock him out, and they're dragged off, and and in the back, uh, Wong is kind of coaching him, telling him, you know, you got to learn to pull your punches. you got to learn control, and they open a portal, and they go into an official-looking place. We don't know where, but there's some technology. My personal thought is either... Um, the Abomination is being recruited into the Avengers Initiative, or more likely, he is a part of the Thunderbolts. But that mid-credit scene with Wong and Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner uh, indicates that he's, you know, allied with the Avengers as well. So we're going to have to wait to see. One of the things that they reveal in this movie is that the Ten Rings are the most ancient artifact of power that any of them have ever seen. Wong has never seen in his uh, in his magical studies any artifact older, and they don't know where it comes from. The power is immeasurable. Captain Marvel has never seen anything like it. Uh, Bruce Banner talks about, and it's, by the way, it's Bruce Banner and not Smart Hulk, which someone has some explaining to do down the line. But Bruce Banner admits that um, the power levels, the gamma signature is off the charts. And as they break down, you know, and examine the rings further, they find out that there's a beacon and it's calling out to something. We don't know what. And I have my own theories about that. I believe that that beacon is calling out to either the Eternals or the Celestials or both. Whatever whatever caused the emergence that is teased in the Eternals trailer, I think is connected to these rings. And there's a lot of evidence for that. Throughout the MCU, we've seen power signatures that look a lot like what we're seeing in the Eternals trailer. Wong and Doctor Strange magical sigils are very similar to the Eternals weapons. Um, The designs on the Ten Rings are very similar to what we're seeing in the Eternals trailer. And the costuming of Shang-Chi, Shilin, and the and the the warriors of Tao Lo are very, very reminiscent of the Eternals character designs. And I think they're connected. We're going to have to wait until December to find out, but that is my theory. All right, to wrap all of this up, I love this movie a lot. The action was fantastic. The fight choreography was fantastic. The characterizations were just phenomenal. We got a great introduction to a brand new hero of the MCU who is worthy to fight side by side with Captain Marvel, Thor, and the rest of the Avengers. So welcome to the circus, as Dr. Banner said. This movie did classic kung fu movie tropes exceptionally well, and it followed traditional patterns of the MCU that make it feel like a warm blanket, you know, your favorite warm blanket that you just love to curl up in. It does all of those things really well. However, 
there's a problem. And this problem does not, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the movie. However, the comic book fan in me realizes that there's a serious problem. I have been railing about this for years. And one of the problems that the MCU has is that although the MC movies are really great at interpreting and staying true to the spirit of the source material, sometimes they veer so far from the source material that someone becoming a fan of the movies, if they go to the comics, are going to see a character very unfamiliar to them. And that is very evident in Shang-Chi. Maybe more evident than any of the other MCU films. If you were reading the current run of the Shang-Chi comics, he does not have the Ten Rings. He is the leader of the Five Weapons, or yeah, the Five Weapons Society that he took control of from his sister. But there are no Ten Rings involved, and there are no superpowers in this way. And it's a problem that they're going to have to figure out a way to bridge because movie fans are going to go to the comics and they are not going to see anything familiar to them. So I'm really hoping through this current run of the Shang-Chi comics that they find a way to bridge that gap and to power up Shang-Chi with the, the Ten Rings, with these artifacts. And I really hope that they don't just brush it off and say, well, the comics is one canon, the movies is another canon. Because the problem that you get is that when those movie fans come to the comics expecting to see those same characters and to see a continuation of the stories they saw on the screen, they are very disappointed and they do not become readers. And movie fans do not become comic fans. And the comic fandom continues to shrink every day. And I think that's a major problem that Marvel and DC to some degree, but especially Marvel, has got to figure out how to bridge. Overall, this movie really set Marvel Phase 4 on fire. It set the stage. Black Widow was okay. I liked elements of the Black Widow, but the Black Widow movie had no real impact for Marvel Phase 4 except for the post-credit scene with Val and Yelena. This movie, on the other hand, not only sets MCU Phase 4 into motion, it sets a brand new status quo for the MCU Phase 4, and I can't wait to see what happens next. There are a lot of people... In toxic fandom, you guys know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the basement-dwelling, mouth-breathing, hot-pocket-eating, neck-beard virgins who have never kissed a girl, these toxic masculine fanboys, crybabies, have been trying to tank this movie unsuccessfully. This movie was a huge success. It uh, earned... $90 million over the Labor Day weekend. 
And it's going into its second week of release, and it shows no signs of slowing down, which is going to make it the highest-grossing Labor Day MCU movie. Highest, well, according to everything I'm reading, Yahoo News, it broke all Labor Day weekends. The previous record holder was 2007's Halloween remake, which only made $30 million in its first four days. So Shang-Chi has actually grossed $146 million worldwide so far, surpassing its, its budget. Not just meeting it, but surpassing it and becoming profitable, which is a good sign since it was also exclusively released in theaters. There was no Disney Plus streaming release, and... Um, that's uh, that's an important distinction that theater owners are are happy and that people are coming back to the theaters. There are so many other little Easter eggs that tie this into the previous uh, MCU movies and that move it forward. And those small little details make this movie even more epic. Like uh, the the neckbeard blogger in Shang-Chi was also in Spider-Man Homecoming. And there's, according to Yahoo News, there's 40 of them. And I'm not going to go through them, but there's just a lot of great little Easter eggs, including the explanation for Trevor and the Mandarin and how it all links to the Ten Rings Society, the Ten Rings organization. So I, I highly recommend you go seek that out and um, find out more about that. I'm just going to close by saying I loved everything about this movie. I highly recommend it. If you're looking for something to go watch tonight, make it Shang-Chi. You will not regret it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and foes, cereal boxers, is my full spoiler review, thoughts, and reminiscence of Shang-Chi. Hope you guys like this. Please drop a comment, drop a note by email at serial box back at the email address is serialboxpodcast at gmail.com, but the website is back at the serialbox.fun. You can connect to us on Facebook. You can watch our videos on YouTube. And in this in the notes, there is a link for you to post a voice message. Let us know what you think about Shang-Chi. Do you agree, disagree? What did you like? What did you dislike? Am I full of it? Am I spot on? We want to hear from you, and you can do that all those different ways. All right, that's it for me. Hope you guys had a great time. If you like this podcast, make sure that you share it with two, three hundred of your closest friends and family. If you love our content, please support us on buymeacoffee.com slash cerealboxpod. If you don't like it and you think we need to, need to do better, then contribute generously at buymeacoffee.com slash cerealboxpod. Subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Subscribe on video, like the Facebook page, and until the next time, love you mean it, we'll catch you on the flip side.